You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey. Hey, yo. Hey. Happy fall, everybody. It's October, I think, when we're, we're publishing this, so we just wanted to get that out there. I know the change in weather is maybe not super exciting for everyone, but at the same time, it brings on the holidays, and I know that might look a little bit different this year, but we're hoping to still enjoy it. Um, today, we actually wanted to launch in and highlight about a dozen high-level top actions that doctors can take with their money to achieve financial success. And a lot of them are things that we've talked about a little bit along the way, but we just wanted to give you all a sort of checklist things that you can just run through, check off on your head, and maybe you're not doing all of them, but the more you are doing, the better chance you're giving yourself to, to be off on a good start. So we're going to talk through that and just give you guys a little bit of checklist. So just be sure to take notes along the way, I guess. Yes. And a lot of the stuff we've touched on already, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is arguably common sense. Um, everyone knows they should probably do these things or have these things. But, but there's it, some specific numbers in there that I think will be helpful. Yeah, and it helps mm-hmm. to reiterate stuff. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever played sports, you go through practice and you're doing the same plays and routines over and over and over again. It's just that muscle memory. You got to repeat and remember and remind yourself how to do it so it almost comes naturally. So we're going to highlight some of the, the smart money moves doctors should make if they want to achieve financial independence one day and be on a good track for success. Most of these will apply to the majority of you. Um, Some of you, you should be following all of them. Um, Maybe there's a few that that don't apply to unique individuals. Um, Like if you don't have student loans, you could probably ignore that one. But uh, but yeah, we'll go through some of the the keys here um, that that we think, you know, everyone should should be aware of and and should implement if they want to reach their financial goals. So Rochelle, you want to start us off with number one? Absolutely. I know, like Corey said, some of you may not have student loans. If so, feel free to fast forward a couple minutes, but a lot of you do. Most of you do. And for a lot of you, it's also a very big chunk of the debt that you're looking at in the financial plan early on, especially just right out of training or while you're still in training. We don't need you to knock them out in two years or three years or anything like that. More important than anything else, we just want to make sure that our clients have a plan to get rid of their student loans. We're not just staying on income-driven repayment forever with no purpose in mind. We are doing things thoughtfully and carefully with the intention of getting rid of our student loans eventually because they have to be gone (laughs) eventually. So whether it's public service loan forgiveness, for those of you that are working for qualifying institutions, just making sure that you have that laid out and you're doing everything that you need to be doing to make sure that you're, you're following that along carefully. Or maybe it's refinancing. Maybe you have a plan to pay them off over five years. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's 15. We just want to make sure that you have a plan that fits with your other goals, something that you can commit to that can work into the cash flow, and that's not going to to take forever like we don't want you to have student loans when you retire obviously that that's not the goal that we're looking at here so just have a game plan for your student loans look at what the overall package is look at what your career path looks like look at your other priorities and you should be able to make a solid plan for them yeah if you can pay them off in two or three years more power to you but at the very least have a plan 
to eliminate them in due time. You know, let's not drag them out forever. But whether it's PSLF, whether it's refinancing, mm-hmm. whether it's just, you know, picking up an extra shift a month and throwing an extra couple thousand out of what, whatever the plan is, let's let's have a, a plan in place to, to tackle those loans. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good start for most of our clients. Like yes. <laughs> number one. <laughs> number one, have a game plan for your student loans. Number two, we've talked about in previous episodes, it relates to housing. You know, the, in addition to your student loans, it, your house outside of taxes is going to be the biggest expense you have in life. Notice I said expense, not investment. Your house is an expense, and, you know, at best, it's probably going to appreciate a little higher than inflation rates over time. But when you factor in all the costs of home ownership, um, you know, you might break even when it's all said and done. So uh, because it's a large expense, the more we can control those big expenses, the better and the more flexibility you'll have with other aspects of your financial plan. So we've talked before, a good rule of thumb, try and keep your mortgage balance below two times your income. We understand depending on where you live in America, this could be challenging in some markets you know if you live in the bay area two times your income even for the highest earning specialties doesn't get you a whole lot but you can move further away from the city center or the the most desirable neighborhoods in order to keep things a little more reasonable and still find a happy balance between price and and comfort so um but yeah try and keep your your housing costs within reason that two times your income rule of thumb i think is a good one to stick to and uh Yes, simple uh, underlying theme is the less you spend, the more flexibility you have to put money towards your other important goals in life. Right. I think another one that we've talked about before but is also very important is own occupation disability insurance. For those of you that are able to get it, please do. (laughs) I think there is some interesting, I don't know, just feelings about it's expensive. I don't want to buy it. And it makes sense because no one really wants to buy insurance and pay for insurance. And we're hoping it's a big waste of money because no one wants to get disabled either. But the fact is that most of you listening to this have put a lot of time and energy and money into becoming a very specialized professional. And whatever you have through work, is very likely not enough to protect your income and also doesn't protect your ability to do your job. Like we'd have to look at your specific plan to be sure, but most group plans will provide protection for a portion of your income and it will protect your ability to do your job, that own occupation piece for a couple of years, but then it'll switch to an any occupation definition of disability, which just means if you're able to work, you're not going to be considered disabled anymore. So we need to protect your ability to do your job. That's the job that's allowing you to make a good income, to pay off the student loans, to pay the mortgage, to save for retirement, all of those things. And if we can protect that, then you're going to be in a much better position if worst thing does happen, you know, and, and it can. It's not that it probably will. It's that it's a possibility. So it's definitely something that we, we want to shift that risk from you to an insurance carrier. That's what they're there for. Yeah, your income is your most valuable asset by far. And people wouldn't think twice about buying homeowner's insurance. When you get a mortgage, uh, the bank requires you to have homeowner's insurance, but I'm willing to bet that every single one of you listening, once your mortgage is paid off, you're still gonna carry your homeowner's insurance because if your house burns down, you want you want to be made whole again, um, financially speaking, at least. Well, your house, the value of your house pales in comparison to your earnings potential throughout your career. And if your career earnings burn down, 
we need to be made whole again. So as long as you depend on your income, protect that income as best as possible. Statistically, you're not going to get disabled, but you're more likely to get disabled than your house is going to burn, than the odds of your house burning down. So, you know, there's about a one in four chance that uh, during your career, you'll be out of work for at least 90 days due to injury or illness. Um, and if, if, if it lasts for, you know, an extended period of time, a couple of years, the rest of your career, that could be very problematic financially speaking. So protect that hard-earned income without income. None of the other stuff we're talking about is relevant. So it, that's an important one. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's so, it's very, very important, especially early on in your career when you have all of your income earning years ahead of you and so much left to accomplish. And so like earlier is better. Absolutely. Like if you're a first year, please do it. Like you're still counting on having that bigger income to be able to accomplish all your goals. So uh, definitely something to think harder about if you haven't already gotten it in place. Um, on another insurance note, I think life insurance is also important, especially if you have dependents. So if you already have dependents in the picture, get it yesterday. If you're planning on having kids, it probably makes sense to look into at least some coverage right now because part of the cost of life insurance is based on your age and your health. So if you have anything substantial change with your health, you may not be able to get coverage. And for some of you out there right now, you may not be able to get coverage. And if that's the case, like we just want to make sure you get as much coverage as possible through wherever you work. Just get as much coverage as you can through work and other resources. But if you are able to get a policy on your own, a term life insurance is normally what we're looking at to provide that protection need. It's a little bit, it's less expensive because it's only designed to last for a specific period of time. But basically you are protecting yourself and your loved ones while your need is greatest. So maybe we select a term that's 10 or 30 years, 10, 20, 30 years. And over that period of time, hopefully, maybe your dependents get a little less dependent on you. We can hope. <laughs> we can hope. And also, you're building up assets, so you don't necessarily need that coverage to last forever. But while you do have that need, it's great to just have that in place because that's another big risk to the plan. Yeah, if you die, family is in a tough spot financially. So. End of story. Um, another insurance, and then we'll, we'll move on from insurances, uh, umbrella liability insurance. And um, a lot of people don't even know what this is or have never even heard of it. That's a, a common theme. But it, it's, it's a very uh, inexpensive form of asset protection. And for physicians, asset protection is often a, a hot topic because you're in high income. Um, odds are you have a decent amount of assets. People want to sue doctors. It's just... Uh, common thing in this country if you're a doctor there's a good chance you're getting sued most likely professionally at work for malpractice related purposes it, you know but you know if you get in a car accident and some and you exchange information the person finds out you're a doctor hey let's maybe see if we can get some money out of this ordeal so protect your assets as, as best as possible an umbrella liability policy is a, a very inexpensive form of asset protection that that layers on top of your home and auto insurance policies and covers above and beyond the home and auto insurance liability limits. So if you actually look at your homeowner's insurance policy or your car insurance policy, there's a maximum amount it will pay for liability. Um, and it's usually only a few hundred thousand dollars, maybe $500,000 on the high end. Well, what if you're sued for a million dollars for hitting someone because you were texting while driving and it's your fault and they win that lawsuit? Well, if your car insurance only covers 300000 but you're on the hook for a million, they're the remaining 700000 is coming out of your pocket. Well, if you have an umbrella policy, 
the umbrella would step in in that scenario to absorb that $700,000 liability that your car insurance doesn't cover. And uh, it's pretty, um, like I said, pretty inexpensive. You're looking at a couple hundred dollars per year for a million dollars worth of coverage. Usually it's sold in million-dollar increments. You get it through your home and auto insurance company. It, it just literally picture a figurative umbrella hovering over your home and your cars, and that's exactly what it is. It's just an additional layer of protection. Um, the moment you say the word umbrella, your insurance agent or, or home and auto company 1-800 numbers will know what you're talking about should be pretty easy to get yep definitely not something that's fun to think about but at the same time you do it and then you don't have to think about it anymore so there you go <laughs> All right. almost done with the boring stuff but one more boring thing one before more we kind get of boring thing also kind of morbid thing get an estate plan in place especially again if you have a family you need a will <laughs> you just want to make sure that if you do pass away or if you are medically incapacitated or something like that that your wishes are known for one thing like people can't do what you want them to do unless they know what you want them to do so having all of that written down is very important um there's also a, a couple of other things we have an entire episode on estates planning specifically so like if you want more details definitely makes sense to listen to that but um end of story you probably will need to talk to an attorney to get something in place and we usually recommend that people do that sooner than later especially if there's large life insurance proceeds and things like that going on too um, and especially if you have kids if you have kids we want to make sure that your wishes are known as like regarding who you want to take care of them and and how you want your assets distributed to them over time that's a that's an important piece of that too yeah, if you don't have a formal documented estate plan, then the state that you live in will determine what happens to your children and your assets if you pass away. So if you want to have a say in the matter, get an estate plan. And like Rochelle said, would definitely recommend meeting with an attorney rather than the online do-it-yourself program um, just because you don't know what you don't know. So doing the do-it-yourself tutorial could uh, you know, not lead to the desired outcomes so absolutely yep moving on to slightly more exciting things uh, well maybe it's the delayed gratification of saving for retirement <laughs> and we are big proponents of saving at least 20 percent of your income for retirement for most of our listeners you're automatically getting a little bit of a late start because we have some extended time and training and to be able to like maintain your lifestyle in retirement, we're going to need to save a big chunk of money. 20% is a good like bottom line minimum. Let's try to at least do that unless you're planning on working forever. And then maybe you do it anyway. <laughs> but if you're that's kind of assuming that we're having like a normal amount, like maybe a three or four year residency and we went through medical school and we're finishing up and, and starting in like our early 30s perhaps. But if you're starting a little bit later, you might need to save even more of your income for retirement. So if you're in your late 30s, maybe it's 25%. If you're starting in your 40s, maybe it's more like 30%. So just give yourself a good chance to be able to retire when you want to. And you can run numbers and things like that, but just know that it's going to be a big chunk of your income. But you're going to have a substantial increase in your income too when you go from being in training to being in attending. So before you get used to like a nicer lifestyle or something like that, just think about paying yourself first. And it is that idea of delayed gratification, but it's money that you're saving for yourself. It's not like you're giving it away to someone else. 
it can also be a, a good way to reduce taxes, which we'll talk about in a little bit too. But just make a commitment, make it happen, try to build the rest of the plan around that too. Like, you know, do the smaller house so that you can make it happen and all of that kind of stuff. Or save for retirement and then with what's left over, that's what you have to buy the house with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and there's uh, your budget. Yeah. And, and, uh, you talk to 10 different financial planners, you'll get 10 different opinions on, on different things. Rochelle and I um, generally like to ignore employer contributions for that 20% mark. So, you know, just 20% of your earnings and whatever your employer does is on top of that. Um, now, there's exceptions, of course, you know, if you are a partner in your own practice and, and the practice is maxing out the profit sharing, maybe we, you know, factor that into the equation somewhat. But um, we don't want to be too dependent on our employer because we can't control what they do. We saw 2020 was a great example. A lot of employers, hospitals, private groups halted their retirement contributions. So they weren't doing a match anymore. They weren't putting any discretionary deposits in anymore. So you can't control what your employer does. If you switch employers, the money may not go with you. And if you're not fully vested, the money that they already put in won't go with you. So I uh, definitely would, would encourage you to just do what, focus on what you can control and not worry about other stuff. Yep, absolutely. And that brings us to the next point is that we just want to max out your tax-advantaged accounts, and that's part of that 20% retirement saving. And the tax-advantaged accounts that we're talking about are the qualified retirement plans. So the plans that you have at work, the 401ks, the 403bs of the world, the, the IRAs that you can potentially fund outside of work depending on your circumstances, those are the ones that will either give you some sort of tax break now and reduce your taxable income, or they may give you tax-free income in retirement if they're Roth accounts. So all of those tax advantages, those are a great incentive that the IRS is giving you to save. You probably will be in a, a high enough like income level to be able to put the maximum into those accounts. And so we encourage you to do that every year that you're able to. That um, For the qualified plans at work right now, how much you can put in is $19,500 per year. So just kind of have that number in mind. It does change a little bit over time. Like the contribution limits will go up a little bit as inflation goes up. So expect to maybe be automatically increasing your savings a little bit each year. And then if you're able to get money into a Roth IRA, then it's about $6,000 per year that each person can put into those accounts as well. So that's, you know, close to $25,000 that we can put into qualified accounts or a little bit more, um, which is a great way to just automatically have part of that 20% or maybe all of that 20% just already taken care of without having to give it a ton of thought. We can just get money into those plans and, and get those tax breaks. Absolutely. And if you have other plans, like some employers offer multiple plans, maybe mm-hmm. a, a 401A or a 457 b depending on the rules and restrictions and and what happens when you leave the employer with that money, we may or may not want to utilize those, but definitely want to look at all of our uh, tax-advantaged investment accounts uh, before looking elsewhere because taxes, you know, save on taxes, tax-efficient. They're also generally more protected assets. If you ever get sued or have to declare bankruptcy or something, it's harder to uh, creditors for to get to that money. So um, definitely want to max those out and you can't go back and add money for missed years. So let's hit the limit every year and, and then look at additional investments after we've hit those max limits. Absolutely. Then leading into the next point, diversify. You've heard this one before. Um, (laughs) Diversify, diversify, diversify. 
everyone gets the idea. Spread the risk around. Don't throw all your eggs in one basket. Don't invest all your money in, in one thing. As tempting as it may be, when you look at, you know, your favorite company, their stock shooting through the roof or, or you know, some alternative asset class, you know, a, a cryptocurrency, whatever it may be, you just, you, you see it going up and up and up and you think, why don't I just put all my money there? I'd make a lot more money than these boring old index funds. But um, spread the risk around. You just never know what could happen that could change the economic outlook for a company or an industry or a sector. Uh, again, 2020 is a great reminder of all this stuff. We've seen areas that looked like they were poised for success just come to a screeching halt, and then other areas come out of nowhere and look like, hey, this is a pretty attractive area to be in for the new future, whatever that new future is. So um, spread the risk around. You don't need to get the best returns every single year to reach your goals. You just need to you know, avoid catastrophe and get some okay returns, and then you ultimately get to your final destination. Yeah, and right now I think you see some things that are hard to resist, like large growth companies and tech sector companies are killing it, and they have been for quite a while. And it's really hard to kind of resist the urge to just put all of your money in some large growth index fund. But it, yeah, it'll come back around. (laughs) It always does. And if we put too much of our money in there, maybe we risk being exposed to something like a dot-com bubble. Like we don't we don't want something like that to happen in our portfolio, so we just want to spread things around a little bit more. Yeah, everything has their time to shine, so spread the yeah. risk around. You never know what's due up next. Yep. And I guess that feeds directly into the next one, which is just that we don't want to be chasing investment returns. Like as things are happening in the marketplace, we don't want to be responding to that and, hap- and, and, and doing it afterwards, like retroactively. We don't want to be backward facing when we're looking at investing because whatever happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to happen again in the future and maybe it will at some point in a market cycle but it's not guaranteed i think it's really interesting because we've seen a really large shift towards millennials doing index investing and things like that and then today i was just seeing a headline that said you know all the millennial index investors have now become day traders because <laughs> <laughs> because they think that covid has provided them this opportunity to get in there and like get some extra special returns but it's i mean i think some people will have some success and a lot of people won't <laughs> and i think it's really hard as an individual investor to have an edge over people that are managing huge mutual funds and banks and all of these other sorts of institutions that are the other buyers in the stock market. High frequency trading algorithms that yeah. can do stuff faster than you. So much faster. Yeah, it's I mean, looking at past performance as your you know, primary um, variable for making investment decisions is akin to driving while looking in the rearview mirror, not maybe the safest practice. So, uh, you know, we all know people, I have a number of people that I talk to regularly and it's always the same conversation. I won't name names, but you know, uh, Hey, look at this. Why aren't we investing here? It's up, you know, 30% this year, 40%. This is up 70% this year. Let's invest in this. It's like, well, just because it's up 30, 40, 70% in the last, whatever time frame doesn't mean it's going to continue that trajectory just because it's done better than everything else as of late doesn't mean it will continue to do better than everything else moving forward so again can't predict the future it's very difficult sure you throw a little bit of money in there but you don't want to bet the farm on it yeah and a lot of times like the market is trying to price things in before things actually happen 
And so it's really hard to like figure out what's going to happen next because everyone else is trying to do the same thing. So if you know there's a, a company that's been doing really well and they're, they're about to announce earnings, like the, the market's already tried to guess exactly what they're going to say. Um, and your guess is not necessarily better than someone else's. It's just a different opinion. It's just a different opinion, exactly. <laughs> yep. And then this one is kind of a, I don't know if we want to say it's a personal pet peeve, but definitely a pet peeve of Rochelle and I as being financial <laughs> advisors. Um, but earmark your retirement savings for retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's earmarked for retirement, but don't like, you know, just change your mind or, you know, like the timeshare is not that important. The vacation house is not that important. Leave your retirement money where it is. Yeah. So if you have money, you know, we're, we talked earlier, save 20% of your income for retirement. We're putting money away, putting money away for retirement. Well, if we're using an investment account that we're earmarking for retirement with that 20% and then we go liquidate it to buy the vacation home, like Rochelle, Rochelle said, or, or, you know, buy a bigger house or, or go on to do whatever with, doesn't matter. Anything that's not named retirement with, we're now taking a giant step backwards. All that 20% savings that we did is, you know, we've just reverted back to a few years earlier or longer, even decades potentially. Mm -hmm. So we really want to make sure that we're setting specific goals for our investments. And then we're sticking to that. Now your goals could change. You know, if you decide all of a sudden you're not retiring at all, then sure, different story. But for most of you, you're going to retire one way or another by choice or not, it, you, you, you know, I guess you could work till you drop. But, um, you know, it, if we're earmarking money for retirement, let's leave it for that. And if you have other goals in mind that come up out of the blue even, let's plan for those accordingly mm -hmm. with new accounts. And if it means we have to wait a little bit to achieve that goal, so be it. But we really don't want to, you know, take money that's earmarked for retirement and put it towards something else, especially if you're going to be pulling money out of a qualified plan. Like, 401k withdrawals or 401k loans, like in, in our opinion, those should basically be illegal. Um, we're talking, or last resort. <laughs> yeah, a last resort. Now there's, you know, exceptions. if it's Emergencies a, happen. If it's a hardship, you know, disability, wh whatever, um, you know, there, we understand. But, you know, if we're just pulling money out of our 401k for a home down payment, mm, you need to give me a better argument than that. Um, we were joking earlier, there should be an underwriting process. Like you have to apply for a 401k loan before they approve it rather than just mm -hmm. if it's a provision in your plan, you can do it no matter what. Absolutely. All right, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> and that was the last big one because our wrap up point here is just that you need to have a plan to reach your goals, to achieve your goals. Like you need to have it written out or you need to have discussed it with someone like someone knows what your goals are and you have a plan to achieve those goals. Because if you don't have a plan and we're just throwing money at things and hoping that we get good results, we have no idea like where you're actually going to end up or in what kind of time frame or anything like that. Like the plan itself is what keeps you on track and also keeps track of what your goals are. Like if you haven't taken some time to think about it, you may not really know when you want to retire or you may not really know like what you want to be able to do for your kids. Like if you can take some time to think about it, then it, it helps you achieve those goals too, just by defining them. Yeah. Having a game plan in place, I think is huge. So and it doesn't have to be a, a very elaborate 
process just you could do on one sheet of paper like uh, we we had carl richards on our podcast earlier this year go read his book the one page financial plan literally on one page is your entire financial plan bullet point your important goals you know we want to save for retirement pay for our kids to go to college and you know support xyz charity whatever whatever your goals are doesn't matter um you know personal finance is personal so to each their own but whatever your goals are now that we have them outlined, what are we going to do to achieve them? You know, if we want to achieve this goal in this amount of time, let's put X amount of money towards it and, and make sure we're on track and maybe have like a minimum and a maximum timeline. So, hey, we want to retire, you know, by 60, 65 at the latest, but if we can do 55, great. All right, let's make sure we're putting enough away to at least hit that 65 mark, ideally the 60 mark. And if we have a little bit more available, let's shoot for 55. So, Whatever our goals are, come up with a loose plan to achieve them and stick with it. Mm -hmm. Review it and revise it as needed. Uh, But what's that saying? A goal without a plan is just a wish. So have a game plan in place and, and that'll help you get there. Right. I think the plan is also a really good way to identify any problem areas and to understand if maybe your goals aren't achievable. And then you can maybe adjust your expectations a little bit. And I don't know about anyone listening here, but if my plan is to retire at 55 and there's no way I'm going to retire until 65, I'd much rather know that when I'm 30 than when I'm 50. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe you can make some changes too. Like that's also possible. It can help you make some adjustments in order to make those goals more attainable. But yeah, sometimes you can't do everything. And, you know, that'll having the plan will help you prioritize and figure out what are the, the most important things. And it also gives you a why, like understanding yeah. why you're doing something. Why am I putting money into this college account? Why am I putting money into my 401k? Why am I putting money towards my student loans? If you don't you know, understand why or don't appreciate why you're doing something, it's going to be a lot harder to follow through with it and stick with it. So having an understanding, having an end goal that you're shooting for will help you stay on task, stay motivated, whatever you need to get there. It's, it's really hard you know, like I, I talked with my neighbors. I went for a run the other night with, with my neighbors um, and we were talking like how hard it is to just motivate yourself to go running nowadays. Like mm-hmm. I have my only motivation now is so I can eat cheeseburgers and drink beer. Like I'm not training for any. Good, it's a good motivation. <laughs> it is. Um, but like when I was younger, you know, when I was in college and high school and playing sports, I've got something I need to get in train, train, uh, get in shape for, you know, all right, season starts this date. I got to start my training regimen so I can get in shape and I'm not gassed when we start doing conditioning drills at the start of practice. So, you know, same with the games. All right. Fourth quarter, got to have legs under me. So let's get in shape. You know, that's a lot easier to motivate yourself uh, for when now it, it's, it's a lot more challenging. So if you have a reason, you have an end result that you're trying to achieve, it, it makes it easier to stick with that plan and ultimately achieve it. Should we do a quick rundown? Number my number? Yes. Let's we need do some it. theme music for this. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we'll dub it in after the fact <laughs> yes. with our, our overly expensive uh, budget for this podcast. Excellent. <laughs> number one, have a game plan for your student loans. Number two, keep your mortgage under two times your income. Number three, get own occupation disability insurance. Number four, get life insurance if you have or plan to have dependents. Number five, get umbrella insurance. Number six, get an estate plan. (laughs) Number seven, save 20% of your income for retirement or maybe more. Number eight, max out tax advantage retirement accounts. Number nine, diversify, diversify, diversify. 
Number 10, don't chase returns. Number 11, earmark retirement savings for retirement and then stick to it. Number 12, have a plan to achieve your goals. Good end note. Thank Thank you, you everyone. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.